is being run. It's spring, so baseball is happening. There's an atmosphere, especially even this week in Ohio, that the weather finally felt like we were not living in Alaska. And there was this thing called the sun, and it existed for a couple of days. It was awesome. And then we get word in the afternoon on Monday that there has been an explosion at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. And I don't know what thought ran through your head, but I know a lot of people around me, including myself, immediately went to September 11th, 2001. This epic redefinition of what it meant to live in this country. And again, we're under attack. Someone has chosen to act out with a malice heart with evil and it seems unprovoked and there are victims who had nothing to do with any type of provocation on any type of evil that would be happening. It's not on a battlefield. It's not in the middle of war. It's in the midst of a race where people are raising money to help people who can't help themselves. And it's mind-blowing. And it's overwhelming to our hearts. And it's deeply disconcerting to our theology about God. Because it's in those moments that we start to question, how could God let this happen? And that we start to respond to why there is such a heavy presence of evil in the world if God is really God and He can know all things. If He is before all things, in all things, and after all things, how can something like this happen? And the title of this series gives us the answer. Because it's a relationship. And God has chosen this creation to be in relationship with Him. And if there is relationship, there will be choice. And there will be those who choose a relationship with some other God other than Him. And they will do desperate, hate-filled, broken, empty, evil things in order to satisfy the desire that they have in them to be in a relationship with their God, whatever that is. And this past week, we saw that happen again. We saw people choose to satisfy their own desire for whatever they had been filling themselves with, and that they had pushed their decision onto us as a world. But the amazing thing about the God of this Bible is that His purpose and His will will prevail over the darkness and the evil and the brokenness and the sin that is in this world. Because if He chose relationship, then He chose a path to redemption within the context of that relationship and that He can make all things new. And so while Monday brought devastation to our country, I love that we gather on Sunday because it's on Sunday that Jesus overcame death. 
It's on Sunday that He overcame everything that was ever broken and that He reminds us, I gave you relationship and I gave you redemption, so be redeemed. Let me be your constant. Let me be your unchanging truth that will overwhelm even the most desperate of your moments. And He wrote that on our hearts. And when the Boston Bruins skated onto the ice for the first time, after devastation had overwhelmed their city, and the stadium filled, this arena filled with people wearing their jerseys, to come out and say, we will not be denied our will to choose who we will be, and who we are as a nation. And so they sang. It was not scripted. It was not planned. There weren't big banners on the screen in the middle of the arena saying, when the anthem starts, you take it. Rene Rancor heard the crowd around him and said, this is yours. You take it. You sing it. You own it. You tell them who you're going to be. And I think as the church, a great lesson can be learned this week for us. It doesn't have to take tragedy for us to take it. It doesn't have to take devastation for us to make it our own. It doesn't have to take destruction of life for us to tell them who we're going to be. It takes consistent living in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes a group of people who are going to live in the moment of every moment in response to the grace of Jesus that they have been blessed with, not just living in the moments of crisis in the grace of of Jesus that they've been blessed with. I titled this sermon this morning, Inconsistently Consistent, because I felt this week, and even watching the tragedy and watching the things around us and seeing the anniversary of a Columbine shooting, seeing the comments about Waco, Texas, and David Koresh, September 11th, 2001, and thinking, as a nation, we are so inconsistently consistent. We are madly in love with God when something devastatingly tragic happens to us as a nation. And we will come together and fly our flags for a nation. And we will come to church and we will pray to God and we will ask Him to heal. And we will stand for humanity. And that consistency will last as long as the devastation overwhelms our hearts. And then we will wake up and we will go back to work. And we will focus on our bank accounts and our marriages and our children and our lives that are around us. And we will spend our days inconsistently living a truth that we so desperately long to believe in. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you want to have healthy relationships around you, it will require you to be consistent in the margin of your life, not just in the overwhelming moment of your life. There are moments that are overwhelming, Monday's explosion was overwhelming. 
But the men and women who lived consistently in the margin ran toward the explosion and started helping. The people who were inconsistent in their life ran away. We don't know that every first responder went into that devastation. But we do know the ones who went in. Because in the margin of your life, when you live consistently to something, you can run deeply and faster and more effectively to help others in the crisis instead of running away and having to help yourself. What a great lesson for us as Christians. What a great lesson for us as parents. It's prom season. Uh Uh-oh. Every parent's nightmare. We will fast and pray for 24 hours. Every high school girl's like, me too, so I can fit in that dress. Because it's so overwhelming to think I'm about to send my kid out in that car with that, that boy, that boy. This is why we should be allowed to have guns in our houses, because that boy's out there. And he wants to date our daughters. Or we're about to send our son out and we're not sure who else is going to be on the road that night. And we're worried and we're concerned. I talked to the parent this week and she came in and she's like, it's prom. I'm like, what's the big deal? <laughs> I work with youth, so I know the, the joke in that. I'm like, what's the big deal? She's like, it's prom. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to ask you what you did at prom. Um, why are you worried? She's like, well, you know what happens at prom? Like, sure, I know what happens at prom. Bad dancing. Really bad. We gangham style. Why? And I'm like, don't worry. It's in these moments, as you're sending your daughter out to go in that car with that boy to that dance, that you're parenting for the last 17 years of her life is going to build the foundation for how good this night's going to be. And her honest response, that's what I'm afraid of. And my heart broke in that moment. Because she had counted the cost. She knew her inconsistency as a parent could come to fruition tonight. The times that instead of standing true to what she and her husband knew to be needed in parenting their daughter, stood more for what they needed to feel as a man and a woman. I would rather my daughter like me than me stick to my guns with what our core value as a family is. I could see all these things running through her mind of, have I trained you up enough to go out tonight with this boy? Or should I lock you in your room? As you walk into a room and your husband or your wife is there and you've been in conflict for weeks, you haven't been sleeping in the same bed for a long time, you're not sure what to have as a discussion with one another. Is it the product of a consistent core valued marriage that you've been carrying together that you just have to get through this or is it the response to inconsistently consistent love in your own life that when it felt good for you you were in it and when it didn't you didn't put the work in 
as a people, we are so inconsistently consistent in the relationships around us because we are very, very selfish. We long to be the center of our own universe. And so we build the relationships around us to meet our needs. But Jesus teaches that there's another way to build relationships. If you brought a Bible, you can look it up, or if you have an app, you can do that too. Just click on it on your phone. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is in a heavy dialogue with a group of Pharisees. Jesus and the Pharisees, they, they didn't really get along too much. The Pharisees believed that they had every religious law down. And they spent their day sitting around talking about how they had every religious law completely nailed down and perfected in their life. And they would debate and debate religious law while they did absolutely nothing. And as someone walked past them who had an overwhelmingly painful life, they would talk about how inconsistent that pained person was and how deeply sinful they were. As these Pharisees sat and talked about how great the law of God was. And none of them would get up and go help the sinful person because that would make them sinful, they felt like. It would make them unclean and dirty. And so instead they would sit around and talk about sinful people. They created Facebook. (laughs) Wow. They made their own icons, their own platform, and looked perfect. And Jesus looks at them and says this after he's healed a demon, which is pretty cool. In verse 25, he says, Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. He then gives an example of saying, If Satan divides himself against Satan, and he casts out Satan, Satan can't stand because he just casted out Satan. Jesus and his math problems. (laughs) If I have one and I subtract one, I don't still have one. If I have one and I subtract one, I have zero. And what he's telling us in this principle is saying, if you have one marriage and one of you subtracts yourself from that marriage, you have no marriage. And if you have core value in your family and one of you breaks that core value, you have no core value. Therefore, if you are an alcoholic, and you're telling your daughter not to smoke pot, and your daughter smokes pot, your equation is that you helped her to smoke pot. Because you can't say, don't smoke pot, because I'm just an alcoholic, but pot's too much, unless you're in the state of Washington. Because one minus one doesn't equal one standing. And so many of us in our lives, we take one and we want to subtract one for everyone else around us and we still want to be one. But if we divide ourselves against the relationships that we are in by creating a double standard for ourselves and saying, I'm against you, but I'm for me, then I'm really against me. And Jesus in this passage is giving the greatest scheme that Satan puts out on us. Satan tells us that we deserve this and the world deserves that. 
And if we will work on satisfying our this, then someday we'll be able to help them with their that. And in reality, Jesus is saying, no. You live for this so that they can live for this too. But if you compare these two things and you live in a house divided, it will crumble. I don't know if that's with you and your kids. I don't know if it's with you and your husband and wife. I don't know if it's between you and your boss. I don't know if it's between you and your coach. I don't know if it's between you as grown men and women and your parents or your grandparents. But if you're dividing one, it's not going to stay as one. But there's hope. Jesus says later in... My Bible turns, sorry. In verse 33 of that same chapter, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Then he looks at the Pharisees and calls them vipers, which is cool. (laughs) I love there's If you read the gospel, Jesus makes side comments that are absolutely hilarious. You look at it, just make a good tree or a bad tree. You brood of vipers! And all of a sudden they're like, well, he hates us. <laughs> he does not like a brood of vipers. Okay, that is not a good thing at all. And all of a sudden they listen. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? And he's specifically looking at people who divide their own houses. How can you go to work and talk about what a great life you have when you're not loving your wife? How can you tell your kids the standards for your house when you're stealing from your boss? How can you teach them financial security when you're overwhelmingly in debt and you owe this world your life? You can't. We're either going to plant good trees or we're going to plant bad trees. And we're either going to produce great fruit for the kingdom of God or we're going to produce rotten fruit that in its core is already rotting away because we produced it with bad seed. Jesus says there's hope though because you can produce a good tree. You can be in existence in healthy relationships. And I want to encourage you that the way in which to live a life differently than the divisive ones that most of us interact with on a regular basis is that we must live consistently in alignment with the Word of God, with Jesus as our constant. It's not enough to just live consistently in our life. We must also live with Jesus as our constant. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because what he is saying is, consistent living does not produce kingdom living. It just produces consistent living. Consistent living with Jesus as the constant produces kingdom living. An example that was utilized in in one of the books that that is uh, part of the backdrop for this series. It said, the title of the chapter is, Do as I say, not as I do. And the example is that a man is coming into his home on Friday and he's absolutely wasted. 
he gets drunk after work every Friday. And he comes in, and he passes out, or he beats his kids. He creates some kind of trauma in the house, and then Saturday he wakes up with a hangover, and he says he's sorry. Don't drink, because you'll turn out like me. But he does it every Friday. And every Saturday, his kids know it's going to be okay. And the consistency of their father gives them ability to endure the circumstances. He's consistent. Every Friday, he gets drunk. Every Saturday, he says he's sorry. And so these kids end up going, mental note, don't be home on Friday. Be home on Saturday. Because Saturday, dad is awesome. He feels bad. He'll give you anything. He says he's sorry. He takes us out for breakfast. He hangs out with us all day because he's so sorry about what he did Friday. But he's consistent. Consistency doesn't automatically bring health in relationships. Only consistency when Jesus is your constant will you have health in your relationships. What do I mean by that? The definition of constant is that which is unchanging. That which cannot be shifted, it cannot be moved, it is unchangeable. A constant is something that you can look up, see, and point to no matter what, and get back on course or stay on course, because you know while you may drift and you may adjust, the constant never moves. That's Jesus. That's the Word of God. He has given us a roadmap to healthy relationship because He has said, I will be your constant today. When you wake up this morning, if you messed up last night, look for me. When you wake up this morning and you're unsure of what the core values of your family should be in order to raise your children in a way that is going to not only keep them out of hell for eternity, but allow them to be freed to influence the kingdom exponentially on this earth, look right here. Build your core value around your constant instead of building your core value around who you want to be or who you think is right because you're moving. You're drifting. You shift back and forth. I've been married for over 12 years. 12 years ago, when I was on my honeymoon, I was an amazing husband. I was awesome. We were in Disney World for our honeymoon. It was fantastic. 12 years later, it's been a good you know, effort. I might be pretty good now. Because I drifted. Life causes me to drift. It was new. It was fresh. It was uncharted water for my wife and I. Now, it's a ship that's trying to move toward Jesus that Satan's trying to wreck. There's storms. It rains a lot. There are kids involved. They're crazy. I don't understand them at all. I've never done that before. But if Jesus is my constant, my family will get there. 
We will be right where Jesus wants us when Jesus needs us to do what Jesus has for us to do. Because in our house, in the words of Joshua, we will serve the Lord. He'll be my constant. Sports Center will not. Oprah will not. Afternoon soap operas will not. The news definitely will not. Islam will not. The United States of America will not be my constant. I will respect her. I will honor her. I will work to keep her free. But she will not be my constant. Jesus will be my constant because he overwhelms and fixes and adjusts and guides and empowers and enables relationships to be consistent because he never changes. Thanksgiving weekend, my grandfather passed away. He was 89 years old. We had an amazing Thanksgiving. He got home, was walking to his bedroom, broke his leg. Went to the hospital. And about 13 years ago, he had had a heart attack that had left only about 10% of his heart functioning. It's pretty impressive to live an additional 13 years with 10% of your heart. The man was strong. But he, he couldn't come out of the surgery from his leg. His heart just couldn't pump the blood to keep him going. And so that weekend, I'm driving up to Portsmouth, Ohio to be with my dad. My dad's an only child. It's just my grandma and my dad in this apartment when I get there. For the first time in my 34 years of knowing my dad, I saw him without a constant. He was a wreck. And as we talked a little bit, not really talkers in my family. I got all of the talking gift right here. Um, I can't stop. My dad's not much of a talker. He internalizes most, thing, most things. And as we're sitting there, I say, how are you doing, Dad? And he starts to just lose it on me. He's like, I'm okay. I just wanted him to be proud of me. So my grandpa was a lot of great things. He was a World War II vet, a tail gunner, had shrapnel in his back from World War II. He was honorable. He was a fighter. He was a protector. He was a defender. He worked in a mill. He was a hard worker, first man in, last man out kind of guy. He was beloved in the community. Everyone knew Bill Cox. He'd be on the roof of a funeral home helping patch it up. He'd be at the hospital delivering a baby. Literally, there were stories of him delivering people's babies, and he was not a doctor. But he was always right. (laughs) One of those guys. He was never wrong. If you thought he was wrong, he never talked to you again. (laughs) Until he forgot that you were wrong that one time. 
He was a baseball coach, football coach, track coach. He was all over the place. Kentucky Colonel. Massive coin collection. And he was an absolutely terrible father. He never wanted his own kids. He never wanted children. He wanted to just be able to have his life, do his thing. So as we're standing in that apartment, my dad's saying, I wish my dad had wanted me. That was really sitting deeply with me during that weekend because it's not like we can reconcile that now. And the funeral starts Sunday morning. And one of the interesting things about being a pastor is everyone in your family wants you to do their funeral, which is a very, very hard thing to do. As I stand up with my dad, sitting in the front row with my grandmother, I look him in the eye and say, my grandfather was many honorable, amazing, great things. And I listed all that list I just shared with you. But he was an awkward father. He didn't like it. He didn't know what it was supposed to be. He didn't do it well. But he raised an amazing son. My dad looked up. And I just grabbed this. He said, because he let you make this your constant. And you let us live under the grace and the truth and the beauty that is this word. Your dad's proud of you because you overcame his inconsistencies and fell in love with the constant of the world named Jesus. I just want to encourage you this morning that maybe your life is off track a little bit in your relationships. Maybe you can't figure out how to fix it. Maybe you've blamed your past. I didn't have a dad, so I don't know. I didn't have a mom, so I don't know how to be a good mom. I didn't have a sister, so I don't know what being a good sister is like. I didn't have very many friends growing up, so I'm not a good friend now. I, I was never married before. I'm trying to figure this out. Blame, 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 blame. Or constant, constant, constant. Whatever is broken in your relationship, He will fix it. Maybe this morning, you need to just hit the reset button because on Sunday, Jesus overcomes death. And let the things that died in your relationships and in your life be resurrected and reconciled to Him. One of the ways that things can stay constant for us, that God can stay constant, is through mediators. Sometimes we need a, a mediator to help us get to where we need to go. Some of us call them counselors, psychiatrists, pastors, our dogs. And some levels of mediation help us get to that constant. One of the things that God has ordained as a mediator for him to keep him constant in your life is this thing called worship. 
That's why we start every Sunday by singing songs. Because there's this medium of music that allows us to be able to cast off the lies that we've been believing in this past week and to take up the beauty of what is the name of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And God loves when we worship Him. He loves it more when we worship Him in healthy relationships. And so, the worship team, the CAM ministry, Creative Arts Ministry at Grace Chapel, thought it a good idea that we end this service a little bit differently. That instead of just saying, let me pray, and you walking out the door, we say, let me pray, and then they will come and have bagels with you. Because they want to be in a relationship with the people that they are leading to the constant of the universe. They don't just want this to be some form of show up here that you can either engage in or not. They want it to be a relationship, and they want you to know them. They want to be family. And each week they do a fantastic job of leading us to the constant that is Jesus. So they're going to be up here wearing these cool little lanyards that they have on. I'm going to pray. And you're invited not to just exit through the doors, but to come and spend some time with them. And to pray with them, or to encourage them, or to let them get to know you a little bit. To talk. To tell them all the songs you wish we sang here. That's really what they want to hear. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Call Caleb. Um, (laughs) I want to pray, and I want to encourage you to live in tune with the constant of your life. Jesus, you're here right now in the same place that you've always been, right in the seat of mercy and grace and love and redemption and truth. And I pray that we seek you and find you together as a family. Continue to anoint this team that stands at the front of this stage as they lead us to your throne every week. Anoint this church. Heal our relationships. Bring us into a consistent pursuit of you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.